You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan, and Eric is not able to be here tonight uh, because he had to be responsible or something. I don't know. He's just being lame. Uh, but it's okay, because I have someone way more fun to talk to as a special guest tonight. Joining me tonight is Brian Lenano. Say hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I honestly am never going to get tired of that joke, and I am so, so glad that so many guests that uh, that I've had on the podcast, without prompting them, have done the goodnight, Gracie bit, and it always warms my heart. And I never actually want to tell anyone to do that, because that spoils the fun. In the back of my mind, there's always the, please say, please do the goodnight, Gracie. Anywho. <laughs> And they're like, they don't do it. They're like, son of a bitch. They're not coming back on the show. <laughs> they're not fun enough. Yeah. <laughs> they're boring and like to actually talk about real things. I don't want to do that. Neither do I. <laughs> so, well, uh, if there is one word that I would use to describe you, it is not boring. And so, so yeah, I am very... Very glad to have you back. This is what, like the third time I think that I've had you on the podcast. I, yeah, I believe so. Uh, we talked about BFF girls. We talked about street trash, and we talked about uh, what we're talking about right now. Right? Yeah. Oh, there was also uh, that one time at Knox Horror Fest where I had just like a, a a short talk with you. But yeah, this is like the third time with a full on episode very brian centric and and it's a good thing that this episode is brian centric because um we are discussing the lanonothon thon 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 which is going to be playing at the chattanooga film festival which technically starts tomorrow but by the time that this episode is posted and people are listening to it um is today or yesterday or a year ago. Depends on how far in the future people are listening to this. Um, but yeah, the Chattanooga Film Festival is June 24th through 29th, 2021. And it's uh, virtual again this year, which honestly, I'm, I'm still happy about. I do miss people. I do absolutely miss being able to, you know, like talk to you in person this year and just sit down and, and chat about stuff and be there with you. But um, people around Tennessee are not always the best about following rules, especially when those rules deal with the health of others. So there's a lot of people around here who are still very much not vaccinated. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with that struggle of be at CFF in person or risk bringing things to other people. So, so yeah, uh, in, in any roundabout way, I am glad that it is still virtual, but I pray to God that next year it doesn't have to be. 
I'm so looking forward to being back in person. Well, what's interesting is um, the hybrids, you know, uh, virtual and in person, I think are great. And virtual fests that happened all last year were really exciting too, because I was able to like attend virtually fests that I wasn't able to go to before, you know, either if they were like across the country or in a different country, I was able to like participate in Q and A's and speak with other filmmakers. And like, they really tried their best to have that communal feeling. It's obviously not the same as actually like being in close proximity to a person and talking to them right after you go see a movie play on a big screen. But I think all the festivals, uh, you know, among them, you know, Chattanooga and Frightening Ass have done a great job to make uh, that community and that communal feeling of the film festival going experience like great. And so I'm very appreciative as a filmmaker uh, to still have that um, last year, even when we all could have just said, you know what, not this year, not going to do anything this year. I'm just going to sit under the bed and wait for this to blow over. So it was, uh, it was nice that people like Chris and uh, William from Knoxville and countless others like really, uh, you know, came together and made something great at each of their festivals. So thank you film festivals. Indeed. Yeah. This year was the first year that I've ever been able to make it uh, to at least part of fantastic fest. And, and it was awesome. And one of the things that I do love so much, and I, I don't know if chat film fest was like the first first or just the first one that I was fully aware of because of, well, you know, going to it more frequently and uh, just being a bit more aware of it. But I, I really do feel like Chattanooga uh, was one of the first film fests that full on gave a film festival virtually rather than just putting a bunch of movies on demand. And I am so, so glad that not only Chattanooga, but the, the other fests that have been following suit, I'm so glad that they understand uh, and, and Brian, I'm glad that you said that as a filmmaker, you appreciate that so that we have not only the filmmaker perspective, but also just like the general audience perspective uh, through me of I, I'm glad that the film fest recognized the fact that a film festival is more than just watching movies. There is a glut of streaming services. There's no shortage of movies to watch. And yeah, we do go to film fests to be able to watch new movies and things that, uh, you know, like are, are just about to come out. But I feel like the majority of people go to film fests for that community and to be able to have those Q and A's. And, you know, like I've um, mentioned before that whenever there was a conflict of what movies I wanted to watch at chat film fest, I would always pick the one that actually had someone there uh, from the movie doing a Q and A, even if the other movie uh, was a movie that I wanted to watch more. I would always go for the one that had that live component. And so, yeah, I love the fact that they've been doing the Q and A's that they've been bringing in as much as they can, you know, via online, um, that communal aspect. So yes, Chris Dorch and all of your crew, thank you so much for, uh, for pioneering all of our nerdy habits in this stupid pandemic. So, so yeah. Here, here. <laughs> More like they're there because you're there and I'm here. Anywho, I make a oh, lot of stupid or, jokes. <laughs> I thought you were like patting me on the back like they're there. 
It'll be, it'll be okay. Oh, no, no. Not like a condolence there, there. More of like there, like that place as opposed to this place. I'm going to leave that joke where it belongs in the trash because that was a bad joke. Speaking of... Here, here. Speaking of trash, uh, I want to dive into the Lananothon, and there's a very specific reason that I'm using that as the segue. It's not because the Lananothon is trash. It is amazing and beautiful, and I watching all of your films progress over the years, there is something absolutely magical about that, and we'll get into some of that, but... The purpose of the segue is because um, you, your segments where you are um, introducing each of the portions of the Lananothon, you're, you're hosting them from in front of a um, a garbage bin from a dumpster. Yep, a dumpster. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, well, it's a, you know, trying to make a light statement that I don't take myself too seriously. Um, but also that I love trashy kind of films, um, trashy in how they're put together or trashy in their subject matter. Um, I'm a big fan of outsider work that others may consider to be trash, um, but they're really passion projects. So as of late, particularly last year, when I had to do, when I had to film a lot of intros, um, for, uh, some of my work that was on the festival circuit, I decided to do them in front of garbage dumpsters to sort of lighten the, the mood because, you know, <laughs> filmmakers tend to, you know, just sit in front of the laptop and say, hi, this is my film and blah, blah, blah. I decided to be a little bit of a trashy showman. You know, I was only missing a top hat and a, uh, a greatest showman kind of coat as I stand in front of the dumpster saying, you're going to see trash tonight. <laughs> great trash but you know so uh so there's a bit of like william castle in me you know when it comes to promoting my work and and whatnot even you know when i welcome everybody to lananothon i wanted to find the stupidest sound for a fanfare you know because <laughs> i'm not taking myself you know seriously as a you know i take filmmaking seriously but i don't take myself seriously which is why we absolutely love having you on the podcast because, uh, you know, that that is our motto. Take film seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. So, yeah, that that is one of the reasons uh, that I always love talking to you. The thing that I love the most about you doing your intro in front of a dumpster is, uh, yeah, like all of the intros that I've seen over the last couple of years um, or over the last year and a half during the pandemic They've been one of two intros, either the person who is like very, very, very detailed about what's behind them. Like they make sure that their lighting is right. They change the books that they have in the background. They change some of the uh, like posters and figures that they have <clears throat> to really curate the uh, the side of them that they are trying to present to go with that movie. Or you get yeah the person who just like opened up their computer and you have just a white wall behind them. So I love the fact that yours was very intentionally very boring, but not boring because it's intentional and it just, it absolutely sets the mood in the best way possible. Well, thank you very much. Uh, there's uh, alternates of me putting trash in the dumpster before I sit down 
and introduce myself. Uh, I did that a few times for some other intros that I've done. Um, and if uh, those uh, who are familiar with my work on the on the Arrow channel, there's an original sort of documentary short about the making of Crowhan, and I do the exact same thing. I'm sitting in front of a dumpster talking about Crowhan and how picking up a piece of garbage inspired the making of that film. So yeah, it's been it's become my go-to, and perhaps it'll become my thing where people expect a nice intro, you know, in front of a a hot dumpster <laughs> for my uh, work. Well, 2020 was absolutely a dumpster fire of a year, so uh, that also works. Uh, is I want to get to Crowhan being inspired by a true story in just a minute, because I, I love the fact that when you have, based on a true story, for Crowhan, that that's not lying. It's misleading, but it's not lying. Uh, but just a minute ago, when you were talking about how like you've got a bit of William Castle in you and you know how you love trashy movies because they're not trash they are things that people you know put their passion into things that are uh created with love or at least created with duct tape and and humor what are some of the things that have inspired you and i I don't necessarily mean um like the third segment of lananathon we're gonna get to that because i specifically want to talk about that portion but more of just like that creative side and like where does some of that love of trashy movies come from well, I think as of lately, I've been really attracted to outsider art. Um, my wife and I frequent, you know, art fairs and things like that. And we've gone to places like Paradise Gardens or the Visionary Art Museum in Baltimore. And uh, we really like naive kind of uh, primitive art done by people who are not like trained in fine art. And what they come up with is very like raw and crass but like very creative because it's like there's nothing holding them back. There's no, um, you know, it's a little like uh, somebody like Tommy Wiseau making The Room or uh, Nabwana IgG making Who Killed Captain Alex. You know, there's passion behind it, but maybe not the resources. In the case of Nabwana IgG and the Hollywood people, I think it's just the resources, but what, what they do with what they have is truly remarkable. I don't think they're bad filmmakers at all. I think they're great filmmakers. I can only imagine what they could do with a with an actual budget. And I would be amazing to see them make a film with an actual budget. Um, uh, so I, I'm I'm very interested in in those kinds of artists lately, and I sort of seek out um, films by people who maybe only do one film or they have a couple of films. You know, another one that was a big inspiration. To me, just just not in anything specific that I've done, but um, the director, Lewis Jackson, who made Christmas Evil. You know, Christmas Evil is a very well-made movie. And the performance of Brandon Maggart as uh, Harry, who, you know, transforms into Santa Claus, is like incredible. Now, people would see this and they would just think it's some kind of crappy horror movie that's not really a horror movie it's definitely more of like a psychological thriller it's more like a taxi driver kind of a movie right um about about this guy who wants to be santa claus and um you know he he put thought and care into this film and he had a real vision and a passion behind it and i can say the same thing about movies like bloodbeat 
or God Monster of Indian Flats. Uh, that one's really interesting because that director is an actual artist and a sculpture, and he also did films. So I can see people might like think I'm crazy, but I can see connections with like God Monster of Indian Flats versus like something like Eraserhead. You know, like they're both made by fine artists, and they both have these very experimental um, elements to them, and. Uh, but I truly love uh, God Monster of Indian Flats. I think that movie loses its mind at the end. And uh, I just never saw a movie go off the rails like that so quickly and so completely uh, crazy. And I just was blown away by it. So thanks to places like Something Weird Video and Vinegar Syndrome and boutique labels like that and, and to festivals like, you know, Knoxville or Fantastic Fest or Chattanooga, finding these gems made by these like outsider visionary filmmakers, you know, it's um, I've grown out of the, you know, mocking a movie. I mean, I still love Mr. Science theater. Mr. Science theater is a huge uh, part of my childhood. And it's the reason why I've come to be acquainted with such filmmakers as uh, Ed Wood. Um, but uh, I've sort of grown out of the mocking of it, even though I still enjoy the humor of Mystery Science Theater, and I've grown to appreciate, you know, what they were trying to do as filmmakers. But uh, I don't know, it's a very interesting, um, it's it's very interesting, that whole world of filmmaking, the, the, the people, like something weird video, like finding all of these like underground type of filmmakers and outsiders like Doris Wishman, you know, marching to their own beat. It's truly inspiring. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned Mystery Science Theater, uh, especially in relationship to Chat Film Fest, because one of the things that uh, that I say pretty much every time I talk about Chat Film Fest, uh, there's my kid screaming in the background. Um, one of the things that I say about uh, Chat Film Fest is even if I don't necessarily love every single movie that uh, that I watch each year, I love the fact that I was able to see them because it's not just a bunch of movies that are about to be out on Netflix. Like Chris is very intentional with finding a, a cinematic experience to give people the opportunity to see things that they might not have seen otherwise. And that's one of the things that don't worry, we're not going to turn this into a mystery science uh, episode. That's one of the things that I do actually love about mystery science theater, especially compared to a lot of other types of um a lot of other types of comedy troops, I guess, that are making fun of movies is mm -hmm. even though there's yeah, a no, I, yeah, I like, totally get what you mean. There's, there's a ton of humor in mystery science theater, but I never feel like they're making fun of the movie. They're having fun with it. But like mm -hmm. mystery science theater is where I, you know, where I first saw um, like attack of the giant leeches and, uh, oh God, what is it? A uh, black scorpion and like a bunch of these terrible, like fifties B sci-fi movies that are only terrible kind of, but when you watch them without mystery science theater, it's like, you know what? There's like a legit movie here. And I know sometimes they were limited with just like what they had uh, the rights to actually show, but I love the fact that their humor was never like, Oh man, how could someone make something this terrible? It was like always said with love. Um, yeah. 
The yeah, thing sorry. that's interesting about a lot of those movies was like they made them with the because they knew they would be released and drive-ins and stuff. So like they would have like this idea or they would have this prop and they'd be like, let's make a movie around this. So so a lot of those movies do have like a lot of filler, which does kind of make them a bit boring. Um, but the moments that truly shine like are incredible. Like there's like that. That has like amazing scenes in it, but it's definitely by a guy who like made industrial videos and shoots them a certain way. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool when like people like that, you know, or people who are just like, I'm going to just make a movie just because like the guy who made man of the hands of fate, you know, um, it, it's, it's always interesting when everybody sort of gets a, a shot at making a movie and seeing what they, what they come up with. Um, but uh, I mean, then you get like the rare exception where like what they come up with is actually a work of art, like Carnival Souls. That's an incredible film made by a guy who made uh, industrial movies for a living. Yeah. You ever see um, Shake Hands with Danger? Because that's the same guy who made Carnival Souls. I don't you think so. You should watch that film. It's, it's pretty great. I think you can see it on YouTube, but it's like for a construction company. It's about like safety on construction sites. And there's a really catchy song with a twangy guitar and the guy's like shake hands with danger. It's good. <laughs> I will absolutely be checking that out. Um, yeah. Two really quick things because I, I really want to talk about your work, not other people's work, but as okay. you were talking about all of this, it made me to think of uh, two things. One <clears throat> living in the South, growing up around Appalachia, uh, you know, like there's a lot of folk art around here and I love folk art. I know a lot of people who absolutely hate it and they're like, this is not art you know like this is not uh what you would go to a museum to see this is not the classically trained art with with actual skill behind it and they're not wrong but it's like yeah but man there's some folk art that just absolutely blows me away from an emotional level because like just part of their soul comes through their work it's also true that there's a lot of folk art where people are just like hey people like folk art i'm gonna make some folk art because i can make trash and then pass it off as art and yeah. it's not always easy to tell the difference, especially with just a, a single medium like, you know, a painting. But the same can be said about movies where it's very yeah. easy for someone to say, I can make a movie because, yeah, especially with, you know, like iPhones now have better video quality than the last hundred years of cinema. Like it's not difficult to make a quote unquote quality movie but it's really difficult to make quality cinema. Um, and and I, I swear I'm getting back to your work in just a second. Um, and one of the other things that, that I was thinking of, especially when you were talking about like uh, movies that aren't necessarily great, but somehow like just surpass what you would expect and then become great movies. The example that I always go to talked about this hundreds of time on the podcast and i'm going to keep talking about it because it has very quickly become one of my all-time favorite movies thanks in large part to um to knoxville horror film fest is blood rage i mm-hmm. love blood rage and mm-hmm. john grismer has only made three movies he made um and all three of his movies have three different titles so i might get the names of two of them uh, mixed up but he made last house on massacre street or The Bride, or The House That Cried Murder, I think is the third title, and Scalpel, or False Face, or I think The Woman in the Shadows is the third one on that. 
And both of those are incredible Southern Gothic movies that are, are just brilliant in, in their own right. And like watching Scalpel, it, I, I love that movie. It is an amazing film that absolutely captures like Southern Gothic horror and also, you know, early 70s, like procedural cop drama type of uh, feel, almost like a Columbo style feel just in the mm-hmm. way that it's shot. But Blood Rage, not just because it's cheesy. Like the first time that I watched it, it was like, man, this movie is hilarious. It's so just so dumb. And there's so many things about it that are just laughable. But every single time that I watch it, I pick up on something else to the point where I truly think that it is a work of genius and that every single piece of that movie is so intricately thought out, except for some of the glitches, like where there's blood on his shirt in one scene and then not on another. But like there's so much about that movie that even though on the surface it seems like his worst, I would fight tooth and nail that it is absolutely his best. Mm hmm. Now, I mentioned that not just as an excuse to talk about John Grismer, but to lead back into talking about some of your work, especially with the being able to discern between like just folk art that is just, you know, it's there and folk art that's like, man, this person put their heart and soul into this. Watching your films and especially uh, rewatching them recently in, in uh, preparation for tonight, every single Every single thing that I've seen from you so far feels like a fully realized world. Even just the, uh, is it the like 8-bit dance party? What was that one? 8-bit eight, eight yeah, go-go? 8-bit eight, eight ghost hop. 8-bit ghost yeah, hop. Eight yeah, 8-bit ghost hop. Even that one, which is just like a 30-second just musical uh, kind of disco scene. I feel the world in all of your films. How much do you actually put into all of that and how much of it is me just kind of heaping praise and and finding excuses to say, man, this is awesome. When you're just like, yeah, no, I just wanted a ghost at a disco. The end. Well, thank you so much for saying that. That's really uh, humbling to hear. Um, Some films like I do, you know, there's thought put into the the world, uh, you know, or the aesthetic of the world and some are experiments, you know, uh, in a weird way, I think of myself as an experimental filmmaker, but not in the traditional sense of experimental filmmaking, even though I find it very interesting, but it also could be quite boring, um, unfortunately. But uh, I love some of the aesthetics that they try in experimental filmmaking. And a lot of like my inspiration comes from special visual effects, both like digital and practical. So for something like 8-Bit Ghost Hop, that was us simply experimenting with a new camera that we got. We got this uh, flip camera, which is like a pocket-sized camera that you has like a, a flip USB uh, plug that you can put right into your computer, and it records like 720p, 29.97 uh, footage. And uh, I decided, like, I bought this camera. Let's make a film with it, you know. Um, and because uh, I don't think at the time I actually had, like, a, a legit camera for myself. Um, yeah, because that was, uh, what, like, 13 years ago? Uh, 2010, yeah. So okay. 11 years ago or so. And, uh, you know, so I wanted to make a film using that camera because I was very interested in, like, the democratization of filmmaking and how, you know, you can have this little camera and be like, we can make a film with it. And I wanted to try and 
prove that. So um, with, uh, with Apic Ghost Up, the other element to that was the fact that I want to experiment with um, cloud tank effects and creating uh, puppets to put in a fish tank to create like this movement of this ethereal movement. I was thinking about the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark when the arc opens up and all the ghosts come out. And I was thinking about poltergeist in the hallway with the, uh, the monster that takes form in front of Joe Beth Williams. And the ghost of and Christmas past in a, a Muppet movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, there's been plenty of examples that like industrial light and magic has done where they created a puppet and put it in a tank of water and had it swim around. So it looked like it was like a floating specter. And I really wanted to try that. So like my brother and I spent like, we're up late one night and we bought a really tiny fish tank, like no bigger than like 13 inches across or something. And uh, we made these little ghosts out of tissue and we bought some copper wire and taped the ghosts to the copper wire and we swam them in the tank. And we had this black poster board behind the tank. So it was easy for us to key out the ghosts from the black background. And then we could put them in to another background that we created, which was the star field. And, um, you know, the moon in that was made from a piece of a, a foam styrofoam ball that like I would put thumbprints in to create craters and spray paint it silver. And then that robot was like the, the body of the robot was this really cool, like water bottle that I bought at a pharmacy. It was like an art deco water bottle. And I thought like, wow, that's such a cool water bottle. Like I want to use it for something. So I took that and turned it into like a robot. And then we just sort of made this song in garage band. And uh, we just decided to um, put together like a little mini music video about these ghosts being summoned to the moon by this robot. And there's a dance party and that's it. <laughs> See, you say, and that's it. But for me, it's like, okay, <clears throat> there's a robot on the moon summoning ghosts for a dance party. There's a story there. Like, how could you not want to know more about, like, okay, how are ghosts called by a robot? What What is the robot doing? Like, is is he a demon robot? Is he just lonely? Is he bored? How did he get to the moon in the first place? Now, this, of course, is where my mind goes because I can't turn it off. But still, I mean, come on. That's it. That is not it. And And that is exactly what I mean by no matter how short the video is and even if like there's no dialogue there's no like plot that's actually discernible from what's presented there is a world there and that is one of the things that i have appreciated so much about your films is none of it feels haphazard even if it is just a uh, like a, a visual experimentation even um like on some of the film fest bumps that you've done like th all of them feel cohesive it feels like there's more to the story even if more to the story is never going to be shown even if you're like nope that's it that's that's all that you're going to see of a, a giant uh lightning middle fingered rabbit destroying a city <laughs> right. not, not even destroying a city destroying a city of vhs tapes even if you're like you're mm -hmm. never going to see that character ever again i always feel like there's more outside of it at least in your mind of i know the world that these characters live in 
And and again, to me at least, it comes across and it's what makes your films so endlessly enjoyable and so rewatchable. And again, going back through them and, and rewatching them leading up to tonight, I was like, man, I I love these. And I was able like I've I've enjoyed them every time that I've seen them and watching them at film fests and hearing the laughter and just uh, being grossed out by the massive amounts of blood. All of that is fun on its own. But rewatching some of them with a slightly more critical eye, I was able to focus in on, man, you put a lot of time and effort into building these worlds, both like I've been talking about um, conceptually, but also physically, you know, like the um, uh, the the one with the uh, ske- electrical skeletal, ele- mm-hmm. which one's that one? Electrical skeletal. Okay, yep. good. I got it right. Uh, like even with electrical skeletal, it would have been super easy just to have like the setting of here's this guy digging this ditch. You didn't need the rest of that environment. You didn't need those miniatures to put you into that world because they weren't, you know, I, I guess they were a little bit relevant in terms of showing you he's in a graveyard. But he also literally says, I'm digging this grave. You didn't need to see that. But the fact that you spent the time to create that gives it so much more. Uh, or or well, like with, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thanking you for, for saying that. I'm sorry, next year. I have literal hours of praise that I could heap on you that I'm trying to actually like rein in a little bit so that this episode is more of you talking about things and less of me just going, this is awesome. And this is awesome. But I mean, come (laughs) on, this is awesome. Well, I I will say, um, you know, animation and paintings, I think are, are a big inspiration to me because, you know, what's wonderful about a painting is it kind of sets a scene and creates a world and there's not necessarily, you know, a story outright. You start to find one as you potentially like look closer at the painting, but I like snapshots into worlds and then leaving before you start to really like settle in. And uh, I don't know, I, maybe it's because, um, if you stay in there too long, you start to find that it's not such a great place, whether it's like flawed or just, it's not like, you know, well put together. So I like sort of brief snapshots into other worlds. You know, David Lynch has talked a lot about like liking to step into another world and he's done it so successfully in television and in feature films and in one minute movies, you know, that one he did on the Lumiere camera is a perfect example of like, how you can create a world in such a small amount of time. And, you know, you, you want to stay in there, but like you also love that it's just a snapshot of this bizarre world. So, you know, Apico stuff was possibly a little like that, you know, obviously margin precursor is something like that too, because that's only one minute. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I appreciate, uh, you know, you saying, you know, that, you know, you didn't have to do the miniature for electrical skeletal, but I wanted to anyway, you know, because, um, (laughs) because I love the artificiality of filmmaking sometimes. So like when it's obviously a miniature or when it's obviously a matte painting or, you know, a set or painted backdrop, I, I love that artificiality in filmmaking. And that makes me more, you know, engrossed in that world because it takes me to another place. You know, it's not grounded in reality. 
and it could be a very unpredictable place. So I, I definitely gravitate towards the artifice. So, you know, um, then I had also just done like a spooky kind of graveyard in Cassie Climber. So it was more, I was doing that kind of thing again, but, um, you know, obviously we had lots of little pieces that we bought at the Michael's arts and crafts <laughs> store. <laughs> right. You, you got to get as much designer. use out of those as possible. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I would, I should probably credit Michaels as the production designer for my first couple of films. <laughs> Maybe they could, uh, start being a sponsor. I doubt that. I, yeah. I doubt that they would, uh, necessarily want that, but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of just like stepping into a world and just getting a, a little snippet and then getting out before anything is ever really explained. I think that Crow Hand is another perfect example for so many reasons. For one, the fact that it's based on a true story, um, which we'll, we'll get to in just a second, um, but also the the visual design, not only with... See, I'm, I'm still confused. It looks like part of that is shot like on an actual location with like cars actually driving behind them, but then the other part looks like it was green screened. Was that... Was it all green screened or was it just like the way that uh, some of the lighting and some of the focus was happening that made it look like it was a green screen? Um, it was mostly on location, but there were a couple of shots that were green screened. Um, were there specific ones you wanted me to uh, debunk? No, uh, that that's not what I wanted to focus on. Uh, the thing that oh, I wanted, okay. it was just, it crossed my mind like, man, I still don't know <laughs> whether they were there or not. Uh, but like, I also love the fact that that adds to a yes. little bit of that ethereality of, is this real or isn't it? But the we were there. Um, the sky was completely overcast and just a flat gray. So in wider shots where you see a lot of sky, we composited clouds in there. Gotcha. So pictures of clouds that we had uh, taken and, Jeff, who's been my collaborator for 20 years now, has uh, was was the one who composited the the clouds into the into the shots. And there were a couple of green screen shots. Um, one in particular was the the shot of the crow gouging out um, the guy's eye, like where it's like a a mold of Jason's head and the crow is like getting in there and like pulling the eye out. That was a green screen shot, but everything else um, was shot on location. And there were a couple of shots where we shot at a different location and we used a brick wall like that they had there. So there could be a little disjointedness and, in sort of the background of like the brick wall pattern of that, of that building. Um, yeah, I would imagine that dance is a real place. That's a real place. We didn't put that in five, six, seven, eight dance. That's what <laughs> that place was called. Um, you can't make that up. What, what kind of store is a five, six, seven, eight dance? <laughs> it's a dance studio. <laughs> oh, got it. Like five, six, seven, eight dance. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the one thing that we, uh, you know, digitally removed from the background of that first wide shot where they walk into the car is uh, it said comic book store. And we just got rid of comic book and just had it say store. But we decided to leave five, six, seven, eight dance. I, I think that was the right decision. So 
Here's the thing uh, that one of the many things that I love about Crowhand. And this could have been purely a decision of, well, we wanted it to be to be this way so that like when uh, when the crow started busting out of his hand, he had both bags to drop and there was more of like a destructive type of uh, scene to take place. But I'd like to think that once again, there's a bigger world and more going on with that. With the fact that the dude was carrying like two big bags of groceries and his girlfriend, I don't think she was carrying anything, maybe her phone purse. I don't know. Because in yeah. my mind, and and again, I know that sometimes I fill in uh, parts of the story that aren't supposed to be there, whatever. But in my mind, they were just like, hey, let's just run into store really quick and pick up just like one thing. Like she probably just needed a single thing. Like she maybe wanted a bag of chips. And while they were there, he was like, ooh, let's get this. Oh, man. Yeah, we totally need this. Ooh, sweet. They have the bubble tape. Oh, man. I've been totally needing some duct tape. Like. In my mind, he just kept grabbing things and putting them into the basket to the point where when they mm-hmm. left, she was like, all right, you're buying all of it. You're carrying it. Mm-hmm. You're not you're on the right track uh, <laughs> because I did have sort of a context in my mind to give the motivation. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll say, uh, just going back to like going into worlds and not necessarily being there too long is like, I think my inspiration comes from like situations more than characters per se. And that's why most times people who are in my films have generic names like husband and wife, and (laughs) um, you know, uh, ex-con and they don't have (laughs) names per se. I'm thinking more about the situation and I'm just taking random people and putting them in that situation. So, but you know, you have to give, the actor something to grab onto. So I had them dress in food themed shirts. You may remember the husband is wearing a shirt that says taco. Oh, I absolutely remember that because uh, uh, Lily is wearing a taco shirt in BFF girls. Yeah. Violet. Violet. Um, And uh, the, the wife is, has a shirt with pineapples on it. It's very subtle, but there's pineapples on them. And uh, my whole thing that I explained to them is they were on their way to a food shirt themed party <laughs> and they were running late because they had to bring things to the party. So, and cause he forgot. So that's why she's not walking with anything. It's because she's annoyed at him because he's stupid and that's why he's walking the way he's walking, holding those two bags and fumbling with his keys. Like I'm trying to get the idea across that like this guy is an idiot (laughs) and it's only going to get worse from here, man. And again, that's what I love about it because the fact that he is an idiot and she is sick of his shit comes across because like when he drops his keys and like, Hey, here's this crow thing. And she's like, Oh my God, don't pick that up. He's like, I'm going to keep it like you, you get that character and you get that tension. And I, I love the fact that you actually think about these things, even if they're not shown on camera, these are the things that separate your shorts from a lot of other shorts that I've seen. And I do love short films, even terrible short films. I love the fact that someone made it, even if they were just like, I can make it and it's not good. I still love the fact that they have spent time creating it and, 
I know I've said this on, on a number of things, but we're going to come back to that a little bit closer to the end. But I love the fact that you take the time to develop the world in your head so that they actually have a motivation for what they're doing and not just, all right, so this is about uh, a crow coming out of a dude's hand and pecking his eye out. The end. Like, it absolutely changes the way that these films come across. So thank you for caring. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. I mean, I wouldn't feel like I was doing a good job as a filmmaker if I didn't put some kind of thought into it, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, like the food shirt thing is not obvious. I'm not expecting anybody to get that, you know, like from watching the movie, but that's like, sometimes that's stuff that I just keep for myself or keep for the actors. And like, it's not, you know, uh, made obvious in, in the movie itself. So there's lots of things that I try to inject in, in movies like that, uh, are for me and not necessarily for, um, you know, the audience for, to get, you know, overtly, uh, there is even, even choices of when, um, like a picture starts or the, you know, it cuts from black to, in picture or the number of times something cuts to like those have hidden meanings for myself, like with Cassie climber, <clears throat> not to get morose, but that was dedicated for a friend who, who passed away. And, uh, the, um, the first frame after the title card, you know, this sort of sound ramps up and then it cuts to the, the two trees in that graveyard is like seven seconds and one frame in, which is, uh, seven one July first, which was the day he passed away. Mm. So there's little things that I put into some of my films that are just there for me, um, and not necessarily for for anybody else. Yeah, and um, I, I know that you mentioned um, I know that you mentioned your friend in terms of like part of why you were um, what inspired you to actually start creating and to go from just having these ideas to fully uh, actualizing them. And I, I want to come back to that in just a minute. I don't want to end on it because I don't want to end on things that are too sad. Um, but I, I, I do want to come back to that in, in just a minute. But as you're talking about, like, you're very intentional, even with it being seven seconds and one frame. One of the other things that I noticed is you have impeccable timing. And I know some of that is uh, thanks to your editors. I know some of that is thanks to like some of the other people that you're working with and collaborating with on uh, collaborating with on these projects. But as I was rewatching these, the timing is perfect. Like the comedic timing, it, it, it was so spot on that like I was almost annoyed at how good it was. Even when it was like, this is the perfect time for, yep, there, there it is. But I was never upset with it because like that, that is exactly when it should have happened. And thankfully, uh, it kind of dawned on me relatively early um, in, in the Lananothon during the electrical skeletal where the dude, uh, the, the grave digger, like he thinks that he just killed the, the spoilers for, you know, people who haven't seen a short um, where he thinks that he's killed it. And then he turns around and it's right there just that timing mm -hmm. and the way that the camera moves with him it is so perfect and and that really cued me into the rest of uh, the shorts of just like man you have great great timing and that is not an easy thing to do that is not an easy thing to accomplish and and i think that um some of that could be attributed to what you were mentioning earlier in terms of things like mystery science theater 3000 but 
the main thing that uh, where I wanted to lead with the mentioning of you have great comedic timing is it's building a little bit off of what I was just talking about with you have these fully realized worlds where in cinema in general, but especially uh, watching your shorts. I just think that it's so fascinating that movies are a mixture of art and that's why not every filmmaker I think does a great job because there's some filmmakers who have a great eye, but tell terrible stories. There are some people Mm -hmm. who tell great stories, but the film looks like trash and nothing is in focus or like there are some movies that really know how to deliver on the scares, but you don't actually care about the characters. So you don't care about what happens to them and like finding that balance uh, or, or like there are some that focus so heavily on music that they're relying entirely on music to tell the story, but not in an intentional way, more of just a, I don't know, we can't tell a story. So here, let's just slap some music on it. Mm-hmm. I did not get that feeling with any of your shorts in terms of it feeling like, I don't know, let's just slap this on it. All of it feels like such a, a delicate balance of having an artistic eye, but also having an ear for the right music to go with that film, but also having the the conceptualization of the characters, but also having the right timing, but also knowing how much blood to use to make it gross, but also knowing how to go too far with it to make it hilarious, uh, how to balance how to balance being extremely gross, but never disrespectful, like with William and with BFF girls and with uh, um, with the nursing home for the undead. Like there's so many things that it's, it's, it's gross and it's like, oh, but I never feel like anything that you've ever done has been disrespectful. And just the way that you're able to balance all of that. I, I don't even know what question I have with that. It's more of just like a, a tremendous kudos of, of again, being able to, to balance all of that. And, and, and I guess just how do you do it? That's as generic of a question <laughs> as can be. Uh, but I honestly don't even know what I'm trying to ask with it. I, I just want to give you that praise. Oh, well, uh, thank you. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I'm very, conscientious of the audience and uh, I don't want to overstay my welcome with a film so if there's a joke and I can get to it as quickly as possible um, you know while it's feeling natural I I will do that and uh, you know a lot of uh, perhaps through osmosis of watching classic Simpsons or Monty Python and the Holy Grail (laughs) or even movies like The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's this wonderful timing that happens to make scenes pop as like dramatic or sinister or funny. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I, I see those things, the Coen brothers too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I think about those things and uh, I think about certain scenes from movies. Like I thought about the shower scene from Psycho a lot when I was making when I was cutting Crohan, when I was cutting William, that, um, you know, I guess I just think about uh, the audience and I think about, uh, you know, things that were edited well and uh, that create this feeling in me that really energizes me. I, you know, I've said this a few times recently that uh, a movie that I can watch and then as soon as it's over, 
immediately watch all over again is Silence of the Lambs because there are so many beats in that film where something is said and as soon as something is said, there's a sound that occurs that ramps up the tension or ramps up the feeling that the director's trying to, you know, get out of you. And uh, it's, a, it's a, an amazing film. Um, and uh, it does that so many times. Um, and uh, yeah, I just aspire in my own weird way to uh, make films that have that kind of energy and try to be, you know, conscientious of the audience. Uh, well, I love the fact that you do that. I'm going to have to rewatch Silence of the Lambs. I love that movie, but it, it's been a while, so I've not picked up on on some of that. Um, one one of the things that okay, I, I really need to like just focus in on real topics and not just hey, this scene is awesome, but I also want to say hey, this scene is awesome, especially in relation to timing and things that don't need to be there, but the fact that they are to me adds so much character i've talked about bff girls a lot i love that short i think that it is amazing i cannot wait for the inevitable sequel i really really hope that you do end up making the one where um where lily has the eating disorder and i want to see this as a series on adult swim like i need more bff girls in my life and the first time that I had you on the uh, on the podcast was just to heap a ton of praise on BFF Girls. I love it. I love everything about it. One of the things that <laughs> one of the things that is just so little but so perfect. First off, everything about Fabuloso Doom. He's just just such a character. But um, when uh, when the evil mirror on the wall. They're having a conversation. I forget what he says to him. He says something about like, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, what part it is, but it's the part where Fabuloso closes his uh, telescope and then throws it. And you make sure to leave in that little clink of like a plastic telescope <laughs> landing on the floor. <laughs> so unnecessary. It, it, and it's not noticeable enough except for the fact that if you notice it, it's just so perfect of like, he's using this tiny plastic telescope to stare through the cosmos at the BFF girls. But when he throws it, it's just clank. I, I love it. <laughs> that, uh, I must, uh, give credit to Eric Netherton who did the sound, uh, design and sound editing of the, of the film. Uh, it's funny enough. Originally we wanted to put in that, stock sound of like a porcelain vase breaking <laughs> after he throws it just that he throws it indiscriminately and smashes something of his and uh for some reason we just didn't do that and then uh you know we put in this he put in the sound of uh of the, the of the uh you know telescope rolling like dropping and rolling on the floor it's so funny that you you it, it's well what's what's wonderful about you know watching the films with different audiences, like what joke do they enjoy or what joke lands more with people or what joke doesn't land with people? You know, uh, you, you're very nice to say like the, that my timing is good. My timing isn't always good on certain, <laughs> certain films where I feel like I could have tightened it up a little bit more, but, um, but that's but, you uh, but yeah. critiquing yourself of like, ah, that was 22 frames. It really needed to be 21 and a half frames. Whereas, like, from the audience, it's like, no, dude, 
it was perfect. There was there was nothing that I uh, was watching leading up to tonight that I thought to myself, eh, it's okay, but it really could have been improved on if he had just whatever. And I am, I'd like to think of myself as a very nice person, but I am also an extremely analytical person. And even movies that I absolutely adore, I find something to say, you know what? This could have been done better. Mm-hmm. But honest to God, there is nothing that I can think of in, in watching your films that I think, you know what? I think that I would enjoy this more if he had done blah instead. And, and again, I think that so much of that is attributed to what you were talking about of you're in this world long enough to get the story and to get the humor or to get the scares or to get whatever the intention of the film is. And then you're out. You're not there long enough to think about it. You're not there long enough to start uh, like critiquing things and saying, um, that didn't quite work. So, so yeah, even if you don't think you have perfect timing, I very much do. Speaking of sound design, where does your inspiration for your music come from? Because you tend to use a lot of like metal and, and like punk and just very like hard music that I, I, I don't know you as well as, uh, as I wish that I did, but from what I do know of you, you never come across as like a metalhead. You seem like the type of person, and I don't mean this as an insult, you seem like the type of person that would be sitting at home just like reading, sipping tea, and like listening to birds. Not even real birds, just like listening to a record of birds. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You just have such a kind, easy personality. Uh, like I said, in, um, a couple of episodes when Eric and I were talking about what we were excited about for CFF and I was like, oh my God, I'm excited about Lananothon because Brian is one of the nicest people that I have ever met and so genuine, but his films are fucking weird. And like, I, I love that about you. So like your, your music seems so incongruous with who you are, uh, again, like surface level. And I know you can't always judge a book by its cover, but where does some of that inspiration for the music come from? Because again, with all of your shorts, the the music is very different between all of them, but all of it feels like the right music for that film. And if you had chosen anything else, it just wouldn't have been the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I am a big fan of like punk music, um, hardcore type of music. You know, uh, I am not that, kind of person but i admire people who are like i if i were to go to a you know i watch um i'm fascinated with the decline of western civilization the penelope spheres movie mm-hmm. and like i i look at those you know kids in the mosh pit and uh or the kid the kids in the bands playing and they're so full of energy and like i don't have that in me to be that like energetic and like thrashing about and stuff but i i love watching it and i love like the intensity of the sound um of of punk music and the speed of punk music um and metal is is great too but i also like love a lot of classical music you know uh melancholic classical music bombastic classical music you know there's a there's a great deal of classical music in my in my films. And then um, when I started collaborating with Mark Malik, when I moved to Atlanta, um, you know, he comes from a very uh, synthesizer sort of background. So a lot of like 
synthesizer type music started being incorporated into my work, like in Dignity Pastures. And he really went to the nines with BFF Girls. Like he composed some really wonderful music in, in that. And then of course, um, the something dance music that's at the end of Gwilliam. Um, you know, I, uh, I just like big music and uh, that gives a lot of energy. I like uh, movies that have a lot of like big energy and like it's music and it's sound design. And that's why some of my bumpers like Bacchus Attackus are so <laughs> overwhelming with uh, music and, and sound effects. And uh, same with Martian Precursor too. Like I like sort of that overload. That's my way of being, trying to be a punk, I, I guess, <laughs> you know, but I'm too, uh, I'm sitting at home listening to birds instead, you know, not asking much. But. <laughs> well, and uh, like, I, I completely understand where you're coming from because I, I have such a huge passion for punk, for punk music. Um, but I am also very much not the kind of person who would like be in the middle of a mosh pit or, you know, like I, I'm the guy kind of standing in the back of the room being like, oh, kids these days, this music's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And I I wonder how much of that also ties into what you were talking about with like some of that outsider cinema and some of the um, like the art that's not always appreciated as great art and just that overall um, that overall appreciation of these are the outsiders of society. The things that they do are not always appreciated and how that maybe feeds into some of your own creative passion of, yeah, let's give some voice to the weird and let's let's do this because why not? Let's let's be that outsider cinema. Um, I, I don't know. I just sometimes think that uh, I I don't know. I don't know what I think. I think that punk music is awesome, and I think your movies are awesome. Uh, well said (laughs) so much so that uh can i start using the fucking awesome song on the podcast can i start doing a segment uh where we play a clip from that as as like the intro music or is that tied up in uh the was it boston underground was it was it the oh that was for the that was for the awesome fest that was my friend vince he uh he made that song i'd have to ask him um i'm sure he would be happy that somebody would be using it on their podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll double check with him. Uh, uh, yeah. I tried, I forgot about that song. I forgot. Like that, I have not. That, yeah. Like, but that was, a, that was a lot of fun. That shoot was a lot of fun. We were just running and gunning around Philadelphia for a day, just like going to this location and trying to shoot this thing and then going over here and shooting. That was, that was fun. That was like 2012. I think we made that. That was like the spring right before we moved down to Atlanta. Um, yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Uh, all right. Um, I, I know that we're running low on time, but I've got two more questions, uh, and, and then maybe some like rapid fire type things. Um, all right. So with talking about how, you know, you are a fan of like outsider cinema and a fan of outsider music and, uh, that you do try to keep in mind the audience and you do try to push the boundaries again, not with a disrespectful way, but with a, let's see how gross we can make this. What have some of the responses to your films been? Because I, if I remember correctly, someone threw up during William, 
Uh, and I, I know that some people might not necessarily get BFF girls or like misconstrue what's actually being presented. Again, I think that your films are incredibly respectful and nothing ever comes across as insensitive, but you also have a tiny little demon wiping jizz on a dude's face. So like, what are some of those responses that you've received from people who maybe don't appreciate the bizarre? Oh, uh, well, uh, I would say Crohan always gets the, uh, it's so funny. You go to YouTube and it's on, I think Crypt TV's YouTube page. And, uh, so, oh, and Alter, it's on Alter as well. And uh, so many people go on and on about, uh, like, oh, yeah, right, this is based on a true story. You're like, yes, yes. <laughs> I get that it is, you know, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here. Like, some people are just taking it literally, you know, and, uh, you know, it'd be like if Monty Python did a skit and something ridiculous happens in it, and then it ends with based on a true story. You know it's not based on a true story. They're just being, they're just being funny. So that was a, that's, that's one I get a lot. Um, well, the, the true story of Crowhand is that, like, it, was it you or just one of your friends just, like, picked up this piece of trash no, on, on the ground? Yeah, it, it was me. Yeah, I, I really came across a thing on the ground that looked like a crow, and my wife told me not to pick it up because she was, she, she was creeped out by it. So I joked that because I didn't listen to her, I picked it up and my hand got cursed and became a pro. Um, with William, I, there's actually a couple of like YouTube reaction videos to William, which I was like, wow, I have arrived. Somebody's doing a stupid reaction video to my, uh, <laughs> my short films. And, uh, you know, they're always like, trying to be funny and say like, Oh, it's so gross. And blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just, People are uncomfortable by William and, you know, that's okay. You can be uncomfortable watching William. I'm not going to call you like, you know, a prude because it's kind of shocking to watch a goblin fillet this guy and then wipe his jizz on your face. So I get it. It's not for everybody. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, BFF girls, um, you know, some people just thought, um, some people thought I was, you know, they said some not so nice things about me or accused me of not so nice things. And, you know, it's simply it's not the truth, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I also get that that movie is not for everybody either. Like, that's a very, that's kind of a challenging movie because it's trying to cover a lot. And, um, you know, it's not going to land with everyone. I think I got, somebody went out of their way to find our Facebook page and said, uh, cause they saw it at a fest in North Carolina. They said, uh, the person who yelled that was trash wasn't me. I wouldn't give it such a high compliment. And then he, uh, just went on and called it like solid, 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 solid waste. That was his so much. So I love that so much so that I took it and put it as a poll quote <laughs> and like used it to promote the film. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I know he's trying to let out some steam cause clearly the film bothered him. And, uh, you know, I tried to just flip it and say like, you know, the fact that you went out of your way to find our Facebook page and, uh, 
to to tell us this means like we really must have gotten to you. And uh, I think that is a compliment. So thanks. <laughs> Look, dudes are um, creeped out by women and their bodies. And yeah, because like I'm not knowing the, the person or anything about them. I assume that that is probably what they were grossed out about was just the fact that like you were examining the the female body. And like I said, the first time uh, that I reviewed it, you handle that subject matter so, so artfully and in such a respectful way that, yeah, of course, like some of the visuals you have are gross, but you're never saying like, ooh, girls are gross for, for having periods. In fact, you almost, not even almost, you very specifically do the opposite. Like when, um, oh, what's the name of their dumb cat? Uh, Neko Sensei. Yes. When, when, uh, when, oh, I forget each character. But like when Rose says that she's on her period and Neko Sensei says gross, like you're, you're pointing out the fact that Neko Sensei is being gross. And like, yeah. as he's saying it, you're like, oh, you're a bad person for saying that periods are gross. <laughs> like, you're so intentional with highlighting the people who are calling this gross are being the gross ones. Why are you uncomfortable with a short film about periods? Yeah. And and I, again, I love that about you. And your films are weird. And I love them. You never, at least I, I never feel like you come across as trying to alienate or trying to offend or trying to be insensitive you push boundaries and you put some visuals up there that are not for everyone but i have never felt like even with the most disgusting scenes i've never felt like in the back of your mind you were saying i wonder how many people i can piss off with this it's always been more of just like yeah. a, this is gross let's put that on screen yeah, it, it was never a, like, what can we do to piss off people uh, kind of mentality. It was just like, it was more like, gosh, this, okay, so like with William, you know, blowing the guy, and he's like, I am, you know, just sort of like calmly in his head, like, this is unusual, but this feels good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm thinking like, okay, well, he's having a good time. What can I do to kind of like make him remember the situation that he's in thus the scene with it poking out of the back of his head and then he gets he gets the double the double whammy of throwing up and coming at the same time um and uh i don't know like i i, I just talked about that movie uh and how it's basically just a movie about guilty pleasures and how you do something because it feels good and then you feel bad about doing that like i always go to you know oh i ate this whole jar of nutella or something like that or i ate too many donuts or too much pizza right and um <clears throat> you feel bad and you're like i'm never doing that again i can't eat pizza again i can't even look at it and then you see a commercial for pizza and you're like i don't want pizza you know <laughs> like maybe maybe not exactly at that moment but like a few days later will pass and you'll get that craving again and that's basically what William is, is just this dirty little craving that people have and they want, you know, to, to have again. And, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of that one. Well, and uh, again, the way that you're able to, to handle these themes, um, like a lot of, especially your recent work, a lot of it feels like 
accepting who you are and coming to terms with, hey, it's okay that you're not perfect. It's okay if you have these guilty pleasures. It's okay if if you like certain things. And uh, <laughs> if you like assholes, yes, <laughs> like, the, like, like the chili team. <laughs> Like with the devil's asshole, where again, it's gross. You have a chili demon spitting out either chili or poop. Either one works. I know he's spitting out the chili because he's in the chili pot, but I also kept thinking since he's the devil's asshole that he was like vomiting out shit, but whatever. Like, yeah, it is a disgusting short of just like, oh, this this makes me feel uneasy with the amount of just uh, uh, projectile vomit that's going on this woman and it's this weird little chili demon but the entire thing's like hey it, it's okay if you like butts like that's that's okay you, you shouldn't be ashamed of it and so i again just heaping praise upon praise i love the fact that even in some of your most disgusting films you're able to find a way to put in a bit of just hope and acceptance and it's okay if if this is who you are like just embrace it love who you are it's okay if your chili doesn't come in first place you're still going to win the breakdancing competition like it's <laughs> it's okay if you're not great at everything and there's something so incredibly hopeful about your films and this is uh leading into that last sort of like uh, bigger segment um that, that i wanted to talk about You've mentioned before that part of what inspired you to to do some of these shorts, and again, you talk about this a little bit on the Lananothon, is um, the the loss of your father a couple of years ago and the loss of your friend back in uh, 2005, I think that you said, and how like seeing seeing lives cut short is part of what has inspired you to create and and to make and to just put a part of you out there so that you know a part of you will always exist and there's always going to be this piece of you not in a narcissistic way but in a you want to create and and so you then pursue this outlet to actually let it out and just as like a brief aside, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe just because the world is trying to tell me something. Um, but I, I've been watching a lot of movies lately that have a very similar tone of quit wasting your life, like do something with it. Even if you don't do something of importance, do something that you love. You know, if you have this creative energy, do something with it. Um, and, and, and where I wanted to come back with that was with some of these inspirations, I feel like there's a lot of reality that, that grounds your films, no matter how bizarre they get. Again, there is that piece of fine hope, even in the worst part, even during a quarantine, let's put together Quarantine, Quarantine, court, let's put together Frankenstein and quarantine. Uh, like you find this way to try to make the best out of these bad situations. And, and so I just wanted, um, you know, to, to hear a little bit more about how some of these, uh, how some of these experiences have helped shaped your passion for creating, not again, necessarily the, like what inspired you from a creative standpoint, like watching Eraserhead at the age of four or anything like that, but more of mm-hmm. how have some of these experiences helped to shape you to the point of i just i just got to create i just need to do this again and as much as you feel like sharing i obviously don't want to pry too far into things if you're like i don't want to talk about that um well let's see um thinking 
I'm trying to remember the whole question. Basically, um, um, with the loss of your father and the loss of your friends, how have some of mm-hmm. those real experiences uh, helped to shape why you create? Does that help? Well, uh, you know, Keith was a very talented musician and, um, you know, uh, a talented filmmaker. And I was helping him with his last film when I was a senior and he was a year younger than me. And uh, I never saw the film finished. And it was this very interesting idea that he had like this character sitting in a room full of little cups filled with goldfish. And he's just sitting in this room. It was such an interesting image. And I, I'd never, you know, seen that in a, a student film at our school before. And uh, I don't know what happened to the footage. And I don't know what happened to all of his music. Um, you know, he's he's in the band who who did uh, the Casket Climber Insect God song. And, uh, you know, I just was so sad that nobody's going to know about this film he made and nobody's going to know about all the other films he's made and nobody's going to know about the films he would have made if he was, you know, still with us. And uh, so that was a big inspiration to, to get moving on and get creative um, and get my work out there. So that was very integral. Um, You know, Cassie Clymer was a catharsis for me to, you know, create this, um, you know, idea of, it's about mourning and learning to accept death. Uh, otherwise you transform, you know, and you're not the same person you were if you're just kind of like stuck in this uh, stage of loss, like you become not yourself. And that sort of happens to the character, the teeth puppet character in Kathy Climber. And then, um, you know, with Memorial, that was uh, made to honor our, father who passed away and uh we wanted to use stuff that he owned and that he was passionate about like he was a photographer not an not an like a professional one but an avid one he enjoyed taking pictures and um we wanted to incorporate some photos that he had taken and photos of himself and then he was also a very big fan of like collecting nautical keepsakes and things like that so we wanted to incorporate that into the film and then my wife, you know, um, created those paintings of the heart that we would animate because he had died of a heart attack. He had heart problems for many years and it just finally, you know, gave out in 2019. And uh, so we wanted to incorporate all these elements to sort of pay homage to, to our dad and make something that hopefully he would like or, you know, he would, he would enjoy seeing. And, you know, obviously it's very experimental, <clears throat> but um, it's not that dissimilar from any of the other films that I've done with my sort of aesthetics. And then with Quarrenstein, you know, I uh, was furloughed for six months and um, I just reached out to a bunch of people who also got furloughed and I said, we have time we should make a movie and you know, though we can't work together, let's try this experiment out. So the idea of doing an exquisite corpse project where, you know, a person makes a scene and then the next person makes the next scene, what better story to do than Frankenstein, uh, an exquisite corpse himself. And uh, you know, I wanted it to be as long 
as it was going to be. You know, we had sort of rules, but nobody followed the rules. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> everybody Makes it came even up better. With something really, yeah, everybody came up with something truly special. And these were friends and collaborators that had never directed before. So I was really excited to see them direct something. Um, and some of them are so funny and so inventive. So it was, I really wanted to make it as a way of celebrating all of us as like filmmakers. And uh, I was just so thrilled with, with everything that came back. And it was so nice to, to so much that like other people wanted to be a part of it. And I had to like add things so they could <laughs> be a part of it. Um, so that's why the film is like 22 minutes, like the longest thing I've ever made. <clears throat> but um but yeah, it, it was that was a lot of fun, and that was like a month and a half, and then we're like, okay, what do we do now? Um, so that summer, we uh, I decided to start like painting because I was like, I well, I'm inspired by paintings. My wife is a painter. We go to museums and art fairs a lot and get inspired by painting. I'm gonna take a crack at it. So I made a bunch of spooky paintings, and then my brother and I filmed them on film. And then we made that spooky kind of like spook show trailer to advertise last year's Knoxville Fest. Like that was all shot on film and that was all just our artwork that I had created over the summer, along with some drawings that my brother made. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And it's based off of like old trailers that you would see like at spook shows from the 1930s, the 1950s. If you have like something weird compilations or if you have any old compilations of like drive-in, you know, drive-in ads for uh, intermissions and things like that. There's always like some old midnight spook show that they <laughs> advertise. So I was inspired by those and I was like, let's try that out. So that was a fun project. So we were, we were pretty busy last year, all, you know, considering, you know, there was the pandemic because at the beginning of the year we shot the uh, music video, uh, the Ruby Bones, Don't Lose Your Head music video. And then, we cut um, Memorial and then the pandemic happened and we made Quarrenstein and then we made the Knoxville trailer. So like in a year where I could have slowed to a complete stop, I wound up making like four projects. So well, and got to keep busy. I feel better when I'm busy with projects actually. Yeah. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, like as you were describing all of that, uh, it, it made me think a little bit back towards the beginning of this episode where we were talking about like folk art and, and some of those things. And I mentioned that sometimes it's not always easy to tell, but other times it is super clear the difference between a folk artist who puts their heart and soul into their work and others who just create because they think it's easy. <clears throat> But, you know, especially over this last year when there's a lot of uh, anxiety and the world is crap and just like with everything else that's going on, like you said, that was one of your most productive years. And I feel like, well, like you just said, keeping busy is part of what helped the year not be so terrible. And it's part of what helped to work through some of your grief. And it's part of what helped keep things kind of in balance. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I feel like that's the case with any sort of creative where, you know, the, the process of creating is is part of what helps keep them sane or the process of creating is what helps them work through their issues or it's part of just the way that they express themselves. And, um, you know, like, like I said, I've been watching a lot of movies lately, whether intentionally or subconsciously or because the universe is trying to tell me something um, that deal with that sort of 
uh, deal with that lost time and with making the most with what you have to make sure that when you get to the end that that you are proud of what you've done. So with all of that, like, what are some words of advice that you have for maybe some creatives out there who who haven't done something, whether it's because they think that they're not good enough or because they don't think that they have the ability or because they don't think that they have the resources, like for all of the people out there who haven't, <coughs> excuse me, um, for all of the people out there who want to take a chance on creating, but who haven't made that step forward, what advice would you give them to actually get their creative project done? I mean, it's uh, it's always that first step that's the hardest. You just have to, you know, it's it's like trying to lose weight too. You know, it's like uh, you're not going to lose weight until you get up and you start walking or you start lifting weights. You just have to get up and start doing it. And, you know, once you go for that walk or you do those reps or push-ups or whatever, you're like, oh, I'm glad I did that, you know? So it's, it's, it's that, it's that, just trying to get past that first step of like, just do it. Just like, just go try it out. And, um, you know, don't worry that you're not going to have this kind of camera or, you know, like when we made Quarantine, we, we realized we had a challenge ahead of us with the fact that like nobody could meet. So, and nobody could like go out and we actually made a rule not to spend any money too. So you literally had to make with what you had. And, you know, we got re- people got really creative with it. And uh, I really loved how creative people got and they experimented and they, they, uh, some of them were so impressive. And it's just a matter of uh, getting off your butt and doing it. Um, and not being afraid. You know, I was, I was a little nervous about taking risks with certain films, you know, uh, Gulliam was an idea we held on to for a few years before we decided to take you know to go for it um and it only it only uh happened because i had made a number of films and got to a point where you know we had something that like worked and resonated with people that we decided like now is the time to to take that risk so in a way you have to like try and try and sort of take this slow boat to building your career um before it could start paying off you know like some people think i'm going to make a film and if it doesn't get into sundance then that's it i'm not doing it it's like well sometimes you can get into sundance with your first film and sometimes you can't it took me 10 films to get into slam dance you know it took me nine films to get into south by southwest and it was because of that continual persistence of trying and you know succeeding in certain ways and then eventually getting to that sort of pinnacle of, uh, you know, a a top tier film festival. But I mean, you know, there are wonderful film festivals, like to get into a film festival period is an accomplishment to make a film is an accomplishment. So if it doesn't get into, you know, a big place, like, don't worry, doesn't necessarily mean that won't happen for you. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a matter of like just getting off your ass and doing it, you know, and <laughs> trying to put, to put aside the doubt that, you know, I'm not good enough or I, uh, I can't do it because everybody can, 
everybody can do it. You know, if you think about how many films have been made by people who are not good filmmakers, but they can walk away saying, I made a film, you know, like I truly respect those people, you know, who went out and actually did it, you know, and when you do it again and again and again, you get better and better. And that's how I feel about my work. I think I got better and better as I went along. I didn't get worse and worse. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, your, your work has absolutely gotten better. Even though there were definitely glimpses of, of genius at the beginning, the, uh, um, the, that music video, don't lose your head. Like, man, I, I loved that. It was so good. Like such a complete story with just a music video. But anyways, I, I have too much praise for you. I need to, <laughs> I need to write it in at least a <laughs> little bit. You need to tone it down, Nathan. But Stop why? It's fun. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I appreciate you saying that because I've tried hard to make that feel like a fully formed, complete story. Um, and, uh, you know, again, without giving away too much about why is this witch in the woods and why does her house look like that? And why does she use these heads and this and that? So I have like a basic idea of like, you know, what, what, um, what she is. It's funny that I was, I was struggling to come up with the idea for that video. And um, I was doing something called um, morning pages. I read this book called the artist way. And uh, it said you should do like three pages every morning of just sort of stream of conscious writing to like clear out your head. <clears throat> and after I did that, I sort of came up with the, the story incomplete. Um, the, the complete story of the Don't Lose Your Head music video where there's a line in the song about, you know, lifting a curse. And, you know, the song is about being stressed and not losing your head when you're stressed. So it sort of came with the idea of like this girl so stressed out with her life loses her head to a witch. And it was, the, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jessica shit, the actress in the, in the video plays both the, the witch and the woman who loses her head. I wondered the the makeup's great. So it's not noticeable, but, but, but yeah, I, I wondered if there was a bit of like confronting your own demons uh, sort of aspect yeah, with it. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the stress that she was experiencing is like self-induced, even though there's outside influences adding to that stress, like bills or relationship problems or this and that, or, you know, not being good enough as an artist, like all that, you know, feeds into your stress. And it's this witch, this, this person that's letting you like, you know, become stressed and, and then she like steals her head in the night and needs to uh, find a way to get it back. So she meets this wizard, this head wizard who has these head grenades. And, um, you know, it's not, maybe it's not overtly there, but like she basically is like, he's showing her how to do it, but she's like, let me do it, you know? <clears throat> and another piece of just perfect comedic timing when he's throwing her how to show the balls and <clears throat> the first one she misses and and they, they're not saying anything, obviously, because it's a music video, but he has that look of like, come on, you completely missed. And she points at her non head like <laughs> I don't I can't see I don't have a head. So <laughs> it made me happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so she like is like, uh, you know, let me do this. I can do this. And, uh, and then she does. And so, yeah, it's fine. It's like, a you know, a nice little simple <clears throat> story that uh has been told before it's the same old story of a girl losing her head to a witch 
and she has to get it back. You know, same old. Yeah, tale as old as time. All right, one last thing before we wrap things up, because uh, we are getting dangerously close to this episode being longer than the Lananothan, which it is covering, which actually is on brand. We've uh, kind of started talking longer about movies than the movies themselves. But <clears throat> one last thing, uh, and this one, it's it's a very short bit, but... Uh, here on Video Monsters, we like to, as we said, take movies seriously, but not ourselves. And so we tend to end episodes with a little bit of like a fun bit sort of thing. So uh, like one that we've done a lot is beginning, middle and end, where we take three completely unrelated movies, but then tie them all together. So they're telling one cohesive story. Uh, it, it's based off of, you know, like Tim Burton with um, uh, Frankenweenie, Corpse Bride and... Nightmare Before Christmas, where it's all following Jack and his dog, and like all three of those are just telling one giant story. Uh, but we've done that with a number of films, and we also, uh, in in one of our recent episode, one of our recent episodes, paired together movies and TV shows that again have nothing to do with each other, but cramming the titles together to force out some sort of stupid story, um, such as. The Nightmare on Elm, sorry, The Nightmare on Sesame Street, where you have uh, Freddy going in and haunting the dreams of of Muppets. So, I I, uh, I, I want to get a, a at least one or two responses from you with some of your movies, um, and I, there are two examples that I can think of, and you might be like, "Dang it, you took my examples," uh, but. But but yeah, I'd like to get some examples with some of your movies. For instance, you could do the mashup. It doesn't have to be a TV and, uh, and movie, but you can have something like the crow hand that rocks the cradle, wherein, um, you know, the, the babysitter now has a crow hand and is seeking vengeance for the people who dropped that totem. Uh, or you can do like a beginning, middle, and end where it doesn't have to be with your films, but this example is where you have the 8-bit ghost hop robot on the moon when he calls the ghosts up there being like, oh man, you ghosts are awesome. What? There's more of you on earth? Cool. I'm going to go down there. And then he uh, rockets to earth and that's the electrical skeletal and he takes over uh, that guy and then as he is here on earth, it's like, man, humans are boring but ghosts are awesome i know i'm going to eradicate all of the humans and so then you have the um oh what's the one with the robot apocalypse what was the name of that one again uh, attackazoids yes attackazoids so you know things like that where you're either uh cobbling them together to tell a cohesive story or mixing and matching them with other movies or um or doing a beginning, middle, and end with some of their movies, but I'm I'm very curious as to uh, a couple of examples that that you could come up with with your movies as inspiration. Okay, um, well, I like the idea of um, the actor Vince Guagenti is in is in um, Electrical Skeletal and. Martian precursor. So I imagine after he gets shot and and by the electrical skeletal, <clears throat> he uh, comes out of the grave and is totally homeless and he's tormented by visions from the planet Mars, like in Martian precursor. <clears throat> and then um, he he becomes so crazy that he thinks he's Ben Franklin and rampages around <laughs> Philadelphia. 
I can dig it. <laughs> um, the other uh, potential uh, connective tissue is the crow totem shows up in a number of places in, in my films. Uh, Blake decides to drop it in uh, when he like is dressing the set. So the witch in Don't Lose Your Head has a crow totem. So it's possible that she created the crow totem that uh, Jason finds in uh, crow hand. And then, hmm, what happens after that? Let's see. He becomes drunk with power and uh, gets a mirror on the wall to tell him what to do. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Which is why. But I think the Vince. I think the Vince one is stronger. My friend Vince becoming a, being the punker who dies, becomes a homeless person, and then, you know, rises out of the uh, alleyways and uh, becomes Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> I, I love that one. Uh, yeah, I, I did notice the uh, crow totem in a few of the shorts. I assume that it's just, you know, when, when you need some set dressing, throw in some Easter eggs. But I do also like to watch all of them as all being from the same universe and how insane that universe would be, but also how fun it would be. Um, so Yeah, that's a crazy place to think of. Like, you're not the first person to say, like, it's possible that this could all exist in the same world. And I'm like, Jesus, that means there's ghosts up in space dancing with a robot. And down on Earth, there's a guy getting blown by a goblin there's like a magical cat and a tampon monster. Like, yeah, it's a crazy there's, world. There's a zombie apocalypse. There is, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's, um, the Bacchus, um, bunny. I keep wanting to say robot, but the Bacchus bunny destroying everything. It is a very bizarre world, but that seems like the perfect world for you to be the, uh, the puppet master of controlling in, taking all of that weirdness but finding a way to also find happiness within all of it all right brian thank you so so much for coming back on the podcast i always love talking to you i probably sound a bit more excited than i should but your films just make me happy and so when i talk to you and Okay, with as weird of we as as ah, <clears throat> with as much as we've been talking about how weird your films are, that probably makes me sound a little bit weird <laughs> to say that they make me happy. But again, how, no, it's okay. Doesn't <laughs> how, doesn't bother me. Yeah. How genuine of a person you are, and again, even in the most bizarre, disgusting moments of your shorts, the short films, not your literal shorts. Uh, there's, there's always that glimpse of hope and, uh, and, and happiness. And so even when they're disgusting, there's still a positive message there. And so when I talk about them, I just get happy. So thank you, uh, for, for bringing so much happiness to me today. Um, and hopefully to our listeners, hopefully if you have listened to this, with the amount of time you've been listening to this, you could have been watching Lananothan. You know, I probably should have said that at the beginning, uh, that people should watch Lananothan and then, like, come back to listen to this. Um, but also, if you are just now listening to this and you do not yet have tickets for the Chat Film Fest, go to chatfilmfest.org and buy your tickets right now, as long as it's before June 29th, so that you can watch Lananothan along with so many other great films that have been curated by Chris Dorch, and uh, just a, a ton of love has been put into this film fest, and much like Brian's weird little films, 
the love shines through in Chat Film Fest. So again, Brian, thank you so, so very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, I always enjoy coming on the show. So thank you so much for liking my work and wanting to talk to me about it. So that's a, that's very nice of you. And uh, in case there's anyone who's not able to get tickets to Chat Film Fest or if they're listening to this you know, after the fact, uh, where do you want people to either follow you or your work or where can they see some more examples of it? I know that you mentioned uh, a couple of your shorts are on the Alter uh, YouTube page, but where can you direct people who wants to either find out more about you or about your work? Okay, well, I've got a website. It's brianlanano.com. Um, uh, five of my films are also available to watch on the Arrow Player, which is Arrow Video's uh, streaming service that has uh, Crohan, Gwilliam, BFF Girls, uh, Gwilliam's Tips for Turning Tricks into Treats, and The Devil's Asshole. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Lanano, and that's it. Um, you know, my email address is on my website if you are so inspired to write to me about how my movie is solid waste or it's not <laughs> solid waste you can reach me there uh but try not to send me any hate mail that would be preferred i wake up and read my emails and that would suck to get a a hateful message from somebody so um but but if it happens it happens i guess can't can't really control it well, and if anyone does send a hateful email, uh, just come back and listen to this episode and you can hear me talk about how much I love you and your work. So <laughs> hopefully that'll help mitigate things. Um, all right. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to come back for our Chattanooga Film Fest coverage. And uh, you can also check out our back catalog with so many episodes of me and Eric and occasionally other people ranting and raving about movies and uh, really just talking way too long is is uh, what you're going to get. You're going to get us talking longer than the runtime of the movie, but I mean, come on, if you love movies, can you honestly say that you yourself have not been in conversations where you've spent more time talking about it than watching it? We just make a terrible habit out of it. Uh, so yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to keep coming back. Uh, you can follow me on me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it is a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater because I'm a nerd and proud of it. And um, yeah, if you like this episode and that's like the fifth time I've said it, yeah, I'm good at words you can follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and now i'm just repeating the word podcast so this is great listening it's a good thing this is at the end you can find us wherever you get your podcast just do a search for video monsters all right that's been it for this episode of video monsters (laughs) say what (laughs) podcast the podcast (laughs) just just podcast the podcast into your podcast holes and then uh You'll get a a, a podcast boner. Right? That's how it's done. (laughs) That's how it's done. Can can you do another short called Podcast Boner? Um, I have a a new idea for a short. It's not about podcasts, but it is about a word that is said a lot lately. Um, So, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I am eagerly anticipating it. Uh, (laughs) All right. 
that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan, and again, Brian, once again, thank you so, so very much. Cannot wait to have you back. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Just podcast the podcast into your podcast holes, and then uh, you, you'll get a, a podcast boner, right?